Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. With the New York sales at Sotheby's on everyone's mind, I thought it would be a welcome relief from a conversation around record-breaking prices to publish an interview I had with Fedor Pavlov Androvich, a performance artist, from his humble work show at Colnegi last autumn. The interview is two parts. One is with Fedor talking about the show in the gallery, and the other was a week later in the studio. I hope you enjoy it. So my name is Fyodor Pavlov Andreevich. Um, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm a part of Humble Works. We have three artists and friends. That started a couple of years ago when we thought that we should rather join forces and do something together because the last thing we exhibited together was 2009 in Manchester at Whitworth Galleries as part of Manchester International Festival where Hans-Ulrich Obrist and Maria Balshoff, who is now the director of the tape, invited us to be a part of this show called Marina Bramish Presents. Um, I will be seated in a um, thing which was called My Mouth is a Temple, which I built of plywood and will keep my mouth open for 21 days and people would come and feed me, raw potatoes, milk, uh, nuts, brush my teeth, uh, tape my, my mouth, um, paint my teeth with black animal, then remove the next person, will remove the animal, etc. So, so well, plenty of rituals to do to the mouth through the opening in the, in the wall, like the little hole. Uh, whereas Nico would be sitting in the basement of this ex-church, from a church, and smash the rocks from, he's from Veneto, so he brought some whole track of rocks and he would be smashing them, you know, until they disappear. And, um, and the amplified sound of it would lead to the um, dome of this church, and so the whole area will be covered with his beautiful noise music. Nico is a punk musician. So um, at this show, we try to build connections between the generations because Nico and I are of the same generation, whereas Marina is from slightly different, but still we're all like equally on the same level of friendship and trust and um, intimacy in a sense. Um, and um, Marina came up with the title, The Humble Works, which we all loved so much because she said, David, when you look at the portraits like this, you only can be humble. And so um, this was quite a beautiful catch because normally Marina really scared us to death when she said she's going to open a dictionary or a book. Um, we give her a number of a line and then a page and then she would find it and that would be the title for the said, so, ah, maybe we... And then she came up with this proposal and it was so much better. So the first thing we learned about the show that there will be a beautiful, marvelous, fantastic, heavyweight Velasquez. And, uh, or as you say here in the UK, Velasquez. So um, this was quite a beautiful um, news to us because we realized that this is a painting that never left Spain in the last 50 years. And this is quite a significant work for Velasquez Ur because he was um, actually, he was in touch with the gallery back then. The gallery of Konagi dates back to 1760s. So, um, and then- Isn't that crazy? It is totally beautiful. Then I looked at the fact that we're going to have the Velasquez since the told Marina um, throughout one of our Zooms um, in the pandemic times. And I went, Marina, isn't it that you had this amazing uh, series of works called The Kitchen, where you depicted another Spanish saint called Santa Teresa de Avila? And she said, yes, exactly. Oh, I know what you're trying to say. I said, this would be the dialect for you. And I mean, she was so excited learning that this may be a a connection that at the end of the day um, these two works were installed the way they are now and then Chloe who you met the director of this gallery um, 
we ask her to maybe find out what were, what were the intersections or what kind of contact even throughout the years could have happened with the two saints. And she said, very direct one, because these two not only lived at the same time, but they also met. And that was a crazy fact, you know, what, what would be a chance of like a performance artist reenacting the life of some saint from Spain and it would be the same period of time that this one lived? Crazy. So then Santa Teresa da Vila was known not just for being um, someone who would cook for 1500 orphans per day and give away the food through the opening in the wall, but also um, she would hate to stay alone in the kitchen because every time she would be alone she would straight away like be lifted up and start levitating like this. So um, um, by divine force. And then of course uh, uh, we, we asked Chloe about when was this meeting and what it was all about and she said that this one was 50, Santa Teresa, and um, the other one, um, Santa Geronima, that's her name. She was only 13 and Santa Teresa told Santa Geronima, you know what, with the young ladies like yourself, the Franciscan order has such a bright future. And she was very right. She gave her some hints and simple thoughts that this one developed into something great and beautiful that Santa Geronima, after all, became the creator of the set of the rules that are valid in the Franciscan church until nowadays. I mean, all the convents live the same rules that she invented at her time. So she, I mean, be it a different time, be it a different era, maybe she would have become an, or a president or a prime minister or, or a president of a transnational multi-whatever corporation or you name it. And then there is another dialogue in this room between the two marinas. They also are related to Spain in a very beautiful way because actually, um, Marina spent seven years working with a workshop in Spain. He, um, this workshop is all about alabasta. And um, if you approach a work and touch them, um, you will understand that actually this, what looks like a photograph, is in fact a sculpture. And because it is alabaster and it's kind of um, cut in the, in the stone, and um, this works, positive and negative, are also in a strong dialogue. The cross is the other one, and so these are the crossing of the two dialogues in this room. Um, then in the middle of the room we have... 10,000 tears. We have the 10,000 tears, and they also are very much connected to Spain, because whilst working on this, Marina went to Prado in Madrid and met John, who was at the time 83 years old, and for the rest for the for most of his life he's been doing the same type of job whenever anywhere in the world a little glass tear of madonna's wooden statue's eye would fall off he would be the one who would do a replacement so he works internationally and he's the only expert of his type then uh, what happened marina asked him what if i ask you to produce ten thousand of them and he would say easily and she thought it was a joke but seven months later she receives a phone call from an unknown number and gentleman would say, here, 10,000 tears are ready. Can, you can come and collect them. That's what Marina did, and this is a beautiful work. So these three works in this room are completely new and have been finished for this show. Pavlov Andrevik is here, and I know you can say it better than I can. Oh, you totally. Introduce yourself. It takes it takes a few a few um, centuries for people to learn how to pronounce my name, but I'm totally open to any versions. You say it your way. 
I'm, I'm Fyodor Pavlov Andreevich, but that's... And the way I met you was when I rang the bell at Kolnegi with Patricia Thielman. You opened the door, we're waiting for someone else, and we're so open and receptive and generous that you talked us through the show. So I'm delighted that you're here again. Thank you uh, so much. Giving of yourself and your time and your work. And at, on the day we met, uh, you introduced yourself as a performance artist, or you referred to yourself as a performance artist. Shall we start there? Because you make objects as well. And, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, my practice is all about the gesture, I think. It's as ephemeral as it can be, because um, after all, you know, performance art is very time-based. And once you're done with whatever you're doing, I mean, in my case, I could be suspended 50 meters above the ground on top of the museum building from a construction crane for seven hours. Clearly or, you've done this. Yeah, or it could be, in a, you know, I'm claustrophobic. I have very strong vertigo. Or I could be like locked in a glass box and be brought by a group of friends to a very high profile art world event and dropped in front of a, a person who really does not think performance art is worth um, anything and just run away and the box with me naked inside stays and I'm very claustrophobic so my only desire at this point is hey is anyone going to open the box and let me free and instead people are lost and they don't know what to do with this box etc etc so it's like this 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 project is called the foundling so but uh, you mentioned the objects and of course it's been my forever thinking uh, how do we make performance art a little less ephemeral and a bit more you know, um, visible in a sense of a physical presence. Marina Abramovich is a good place to start. Oh, true. That was very a very so. nice group show, Humble Works at Kolnegi. If anyone hasn't seen it, they have to. And I didn't mean that as any kind of... She's managed to put herself at the front of the art world as a performance-based person. So the fact that she selected you to be in this must make you more visible in some way. Um, I mean, Marina always selects the artists around her. This time, I would say we've, we've all selected each other. It wasn't her idea or her choice. I think she's a queen and she's our mother and as she prefers to say, grandmother. However, I mean, she's just a, she's more of a sister, I think. And, and the statement she made about this very show, she was like, um, it's important that it is important that we are all friends. And it is really important we're all friends, you know, like because artists nowadays, there is no such a luxury as in be friends with your fellow artists. And um, in this case, Nico Vascellari, who is an amazing Italian artist, Marina and myself, we just were chosen by the Velasquez or by... Uh, the Etruscan um, burial urn or by um, a work by um, Anthony Tapius. I mean, these are all the old, ancient, modern, you know, artists who we are in dialogue with. So if, um, if you guys have time to run into the show and see it until it closes, uh, the last day at the gallery is on Monday, um, I'll, be, I'll be most of the time at the gallery and be happy. I think it's very important that the artists are explaining their own works because it's also great for you to have your own version but once the moment you see an artist talking in front of their work in my case it's this you know um dust memory sculpture and all the people that you may have shared a bed with yeah the dust is made from yeah uh, there's an intimate version of the story as well very much so i um i i never understand what is the 
what is the position of um, of memory and you know I only believe in in art which is circus or tragedy and I mean in the case of the of the dust sculpture it's a mixture because of course for some people it's a circus when uh, a human being talks about their intimate experiences uh, you know openly and honestly and sort of transparently whereas and I, you know, I find it both very sad because none of these things will repeat, um, and mo many of these people are no longer there or no longer the same people. You know, you you meet a woman who you were with when you were fifteen, and she was thirty-five, and all of a sudden she's almost seventy. You know, and and you meet her, and and she's crying, and you ask, can you get? Uh, can you get me some of your dust? And she says, welcome, you know, go under my bed and do it yourself. Talk about the ephemeral nature of performance art. It's a m metaphor for the ephemeral nature of life, in a sense. I think we are what we are. We just collect this dust from the entire life, and then we place it somewhere. We just never acknowledge that. So in my case, I try to be very clear that I would want a physical object to remain as a leftover of my life. And then it, this, this piece will be burned with my own body when I'm no longer alive, you know, and, and whoever owns this sculpture will get a little capsule full of mixed ashes. So that's, that's the, that's the dream I think for anyone, you know, like in, in this sense, we all want to be eternal, but this way you are eternal in the sense of like your mixed ashes, because we are not just us. We're a mixture of the people we met throughout our life. You like to test your boundaries, <clears throat> whether they're your psychological boundaries or physical boundaries. The show had a lot to do with that, too. Um, what it means to be human, in my opinion. Uh, Nico's work, especially Marina, of course, is often working with her body to purify it so she can do things with it, like sit for a whole day. Uh, greeting people said for three months three months yes thank you um this this need to test the limits of your body where did it come from you know I often you know. i often think about people who are you know in brazil where i spend half of my time there are people who still work in elevators like they they push buttons and that's their job i think this is much more performative than whatever we do there are so many people which you know their jobs you know they are sitting and waiting for nothing you know and uh, we underestimate the presence of performance art in routine life many people are Ooh. doing meditative actions all around the place you know and we should look at them with a with a more you know respect respect and and attention and love because these people are very disciplined and i i always admire you know them and always like look at them with a lot of inspiration What's after Humbleworks comes down, and it's been up for a, a while now, it certainly took us through Freeze Week. It's been exquisite, to say the least. It's a museum-quality show. What will you be working on? So right now I'm working for, um, I, I can't really reveal the name of a museum. It's, it's, it's going to be in the news soon, I hope. I'm working on a project which is called Anti-Furniture. It's a series of objects which look like sculptures, but in fact they are there designed for human body to fit and like you sit on a on a chair which automatically spreads your leg and you and you 
if you are a female, you probably resemble some doctor visit, some specific doctor visit, <laughs> or like um, uh, you could, um, you know, lock yourself in a in a closet, and it's a group closet. So like Chris Burton, who is a performance artist, the like historical yeah, one, the best one, could lock himself in a campus um, locker for three days. Wow. You know, this is such a locker where you know, a group of people could be locked together or like, so there's a series of furnitures, a furniture, which each object sort of accommodates um, a human body in a very inconvenient and sort of not quite a classical way. And, um, you know, it's been two years that we're developing with this, this project with an architect friend of mine, Olga Travers. And um, it's been a journey, I have to say, you know, feeding your own body and seeing what's the most inconvenient and in the, in the meantime, most beautiful way of, you know, being a body locked in a, in, a, in a position which is not necessarily something that you would think of your own body. What position will you be in? Do um, you know? I, I, I keep, I said Chris is the best, but I don't know if I mean that. Yeah, I think he shot himself a few times at that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And on his shoulder and a friend did it, did it yeah. on, you know, being asked by, by the artist. I think Chris was, Chris's energy is, is aggressiveness in a good sense, you know, like... It, Performance artists cannot lie about what they're here for. It's all, you can see it straight away. You know, whether you lie, whether you're a narcissist, whether you are, you know, um, exaggerating about uh, whether you, you know, you want to sell things that are not quite. So it's all, it's very, you know, the smell of performance art is so certain that you will see it straight away. So Chris Burden's work is something that smells with sweat, blood, and all this truthful liquids, you know, which he's not there for a few years now, and the smell is still there. So, so the going back to the question I asked you before I interrupted myself, what shape do you think you'll take, and what will it smell like then? Mm, good question. So... <laughs> I most likely would be in a hammock. I really hate hammocks, to be honest. So that's why my choice would be a hammock, because you have to place yourself in a position where you don't feel comfortable. And imagine you go into a hammock upside down. Normally, you would be on your back, right? So in this case, you're going to be face down. And then there are holes for your legs and for your arms. And you, you, know, you stick them in, and your head is also down there. And you're in this hammock... <laughs> and you're paralyzed. That's what I like about it's like it. It's a hunted and, animal. Almost. Exactly. And that's what we all are at a certain point, you know, in politics or social issues or our disability of helping others is there. That's what we all feel, you know. I know I come from a very poor background. I'm a, you know, I was born in the Soviet Union to a family of dissidents, political dissidents. You know, my mother is a writer. She was banned until she was 50. My father, KGB, was all, all, all the way after him. You know, we had investigations, you know, police coming into our house right on a regular basis. My parents were really facing the, ar the arrest all, you know, all those years of my childhood. And uh, we were like 10 people in two small rooms and no food, no clothes, no nothing like that. So I really know, you know, what we're talking about while thinking about the, 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 the fragile nature of, you know, our life. So, yeah, um, 
any any sculpture, any any performative context you want to create, you would always remember about certain things of your life, and that's what I do by any by all means. There's a long story from where you grew up to where you are now that I'd love to hear. <laughs> I don't know when we'll have the time. I wish it was today. Uh, this thing of becoming an artist couldn't have happened easily for you. A lot of people who are born into creative families just take on the role that their parents have sort of, the way they've lived. It's a continuum of how they grew up. But you actually changed an identity by becoming an artist and leaving your country and I think it is super. I think it is super important for an artist to get through and um, various um, sensitive, you know, matters and experiences. And um, I think it is super important to suffer. You know, Marina often talking about Abramovich. She often finds the you know she she nowadays it should be like a drummer of a soul or like you know heartbroken or heartbreaking or all that. Whereas like. You know, I think the most the most powerful memories of her life would be like you know her childhood in Serbia. Um, in my case, I think it's a it's my childhood in the Soviet Union. But um, you know, I even I even um, try to reconnect to it from time to time. You know, like Palais Tokyo um, asked me to build a, a, a performance around this, and we did a piece called Batotodromo, which is a you know a, a huge gigantic potato i'm allergic to potatoes i cannot eat potatoes since my childhood because that was the only food we had bread and potatoes i really hate them so i have built a, a gigantic we use seven tons of potatoes it's terrible you know talking how many people are starving around the world that we wasted so much food but we built this um you know seven meter tall potato cave and uh inside this cave there was a little little hill made of potatoes so it's like imagine all the potato structure and then my head is sticking out of this hill and every 10 seconds there's a huge potato falling on my head as in chinese torture you know this is something that um and there's no joke i mean you're there for that many days on a daily basis five five hours a day potatoes are falling and falling and falling you're like and you just remind yourself of what's been going on throughout a certain part of your life and the potatoes that you hate so much and the audience that has to walk into this potato stupa wearing little pot on their head, as in, you know, we cooked in those pots. I brought the Soviet ones so for the people to wear like helmets so nothing falls on their head randomly. So, you know... <laughs> I've, it's fun, it's but it's tragedy, you know. So that's what I'm talking about: circus tragedy. The paradox within it. The paradox within the fun is the tragedy. Do you see a therapist? Oh yeah, on a regular basis. Otherwise, I don't know where would I've been by now. But um, there is this amazing Australian school and narrative uh, narrative school where you kind of each person is a text, and you have a chance to rewrite it. So that's my therapy. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And, uh, and when you start rewriting yours, other people feel more confident and brave about rewriting theirs. So it's heroic in a way, what you're doing. Uh, in my metaphorically heroic, I mean, we don't, <laughs> the word's thrown around too much. I know what you mean. I know why it winced and words are powerful. It's, uh, it's, how about it? Uh, what's a better word? It's inspirational. Thank you. 
You know, um, endurance and long duration are the best friends of a performance artist in any ways. And that's what connects um, the contemporary art to to the, you know, it's terrible. It sounds terrible, but um, the saints um, on their way um, achieving, you know, divine things and um, suffering and giving away their bodies. It's just nowadays, all of the performance artists who do it for for real... They not necessarily do this uh, for the religious matters. They do this because their body is an instrument, and their their divine nature is elsewhere. You know, they're they're in the constant search for for it. And um, I so think I think of the Velasquez that's a part of the humble work show, and it was a nun who would put rocks in her mouth so she wouldn't speak her vocation was a vocation isn't it performative it is completely or you know most of the superheroes of the ancient you know ancient greek icons let's put it this way or you know they all were doing the same it's just nowadays and the heroic the heroical sort of poetry has changed a lot and um you know you can give away your life for the others but you could also search in, you know, an ephemeral way. And great if, you know, look at look at Cuban artists who face jail every now and then. Look at the artists in Russia. Ai Weiwei. Look at Ai Weiwei. Look at all of them, you know. They are, you know. They're replacing the, we, you know, what do we know about contemporary saints? There's a, there is a guy in Sao Paulo who, who's 70-something, who's a priest, who walks every morning and... Hugs and kisses and um, washes feet of homeless people, and that's the, you know when I'm in Sao Paulo, I always try to go with him. And there are so many people around who just who just tell him to fuck off and say that he is helping to reproduce homelessness, which is completely stupid because the guy is saving them. His name is Padre Julio Lancelotti. Um, I think Padre, that guys Pedro like Giulio Padre Giulio Lancelotti. Let's remember that. Yeah, and um, and this guy, when when the when the mayor's office of Sao Paulo decided to place uh, sharp rocks all around and the uh, underneath the the viaducts and the bridges of of Sao Paulo, so the homeless people couldn't sleep there anymore because it's like seventy thousand seventy thousand of them right now after the pandemic. So Padre Julio went there and he's, he doesn't walk really great. You know, he's an old man and he went there and he started removing those rocks himself. So the, the mayor's office was feeling so shameful next morning. So they announced this was a mistake and they removed all these rocks and Padre Julio placed flowers in these places. And, uh, and the homeless people were back there in a couple of days, they could sleep again. And uh, when this happened, I decided, okay, I'm going to go naked on the, on, you know, in the most bourgeois district of Sao Paulo and sit on the on the sharp rocks, and um, for as many hours as I would be allowed to, you know, uh, being a living rem reminder of what's going on. Um, yeah, a lot of police, a lot of people screaming at me, and you know, I'm pretty much. How long were you allowed me. to? Well, the police would arrive every 15 minutes because you can't be naked uh, and you in did Brazil. It again. You no, did I was it. I was there. I would just cover the moment they arrived, then I would just be um, naked again. And it was quite a quite a sensitive experience. Padre Julio came to support me. His, you know, because I did it for him and trying to share his feelings about whole whole thing. 
And uh, to be honest, like things like that, I'm not I'm not reacting immediately to social and political things because I'm not a political artist. I'm not like Iowa Way or but um, these things, you know, you can't really live with them while they're happening around you. So you have to do something. You have to react. And it's a, an express karma time. You have to react. Stra- you have to react straight away. Have you ever reacted and then regretted it? You know, when I was when I was in jail in New York City, I first was like, um, you know, I, I made this this work called The Foundling when I um, delivered when four friends delivered me to um, the Met Gala to the red carpet because it was a gentle reminder to them that hey guys, you're, you're talking about art here. Here's the here's a piece for you. <laughs> I mean, it was a miracle we made it in. It and, is a miracle. And Anna made. Winter was the the most furious person on earth. She was like. Ah! <laughs> Anna Winter, yeah, you spoiled her party. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and then and then all this, you know, I've never seen so so many cops. There were like hundreds of them, just just you know trying to remove my little box. <laughs> it's a wealthy party. <laughs> it was so funny, and then uh, yeah, and then I was in jail, um, the f- first time in my life. Um, you know, I've never been to a police station before, so it's like it was kind of. What did they arrest you for? Uh, oh, there was there were four different points, and uh, you know, tra- trespassing, private properties, like nudity, da da da, all these things. But to be honest, there was no nudity. But you know, um, 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 a naked a naked bum to them is already because I was in a box. You know, you could only see me from the side. Um, and then, uh, but it it felt to me that my performance didn't just last the moment the police broke this glass box and took me off. Um, it felt to me the performance lasted until the moment they released me from jail. Yeah, uh, and it was quite a it was quite a strong thing to me because most of my works that I do interactively with the participation of the people of the audience, they're all DIY for the audience. The work depends on how you treat me. This is the body given to you. You guys decide. You know, and then um, so whatever they did to me, which you know they put me behind the bars it wasn't for so long but it was quite interesting and how long i was 27 hours only and then um, a friend saw it on it was all around the press because <laughs> i didn't play i was all around the press i was like i wasn't you know it was no, the, i get it it yeah. was the fifth time i did this work and it's never been in the press it's never been you know police would arrive but nobody cared it was in london in moscow in sao paulo in venice but never in the united never states never in the united states yeah. it's a different story yes and you know to be honest this was i really felt the piece build build up itself you know it was so clearly that things were happening without any of my participation i would be just you know just attending it as an as a as a member of the audience yeah their humor isn't it's it's ironic it was an art an art gala um, but, but how interesting did you regret doing it Is that oh no no oh no of course so not it's one of the you regret oh no it was one of the most beautiful moments probably you know we arrived between Beyonce and Rihanna and uh, it's all so glamorous and I just took an Uber SUV because in New York City you can get all t- types of cars as an Uber and it was Uber SUV so it was exactly the same car that Rihanna would be riding just it was hired and the driver was paid 50 bucks uh, by the system and the driver helped he was like am I going to be on TV and a friend of mine said yeah yeah you will and so he helped with the box 
He got in on the action. Yeah. Is there any, like, I like this idea of, of uh, interventionist kind of performance art. Is there anything that you can think of that you really want to do but just haven't figured out a way? Is there anything you'd like to expose as being slightly hypocritical Oh, a lot. Now? And here? Oh, you know, it's, it often happens that people, after this foundling series, people tell me, at museum director friends, whatever they say, by the way, uh, I'd like to invite you to our opening, but please don't come in a glass box. <laughs> or, like, or like vice versa, they say, hey, um, hey, we're doing this beautiful party, come in a glass box. Or like, get naked. And, I, and I'm like, so there's the, always, the, the answer is always no. Yeah. Because these things only happen when you don't expect them, when you don't want them, when you don't need them, and then it's there. And you would never know. You take the nation of, notion of control away. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. We've, we've, this is brilliant that we've got half an hour with you. And uh, again, I wanted to emphasize how much I appreciate your generosity from the first time I met you to now, talking about who you are, what you do with your body, how you make us aware that we're human too. And so is everyone walking around this earth with us. It's, uh, it's beautiful, and I'm quite moved by it. And so I hope that if you're doing anything in the future, you get in touch and come back in and talk about your work more. Thank you so much, Maybe. It was so beautiful to see you and to talk to you. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. I am an art critic and artistic director at Maddox Gallery. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by... Corey Shidhami, thank you for listening.